Welcome to another episode of Left Coast Sports with John Schaefer. Left Coast Sports is brought to you by the Multicultural Health Foundation, Reimagining Wellness. We're shifting the conversation from managing illness to inspiring wellness. And then there were four. Just four teams remain, and surprisingly, UCLA is one of the last teams standing. It's the Bruins' 19th Final Four in school history, and perhaps their most surprising trip as well. The Bruins are the first team since VCU in 2011 to go from the first four to the Final Four. They're also in a Final Four for the first time since 2008. Johnny Juzang has become a household name as the Kentucky transfer has scored 27 or more points three times during the tournament already. And now the ultimate test. Can they hang with the Gonzaga Bulldogs, riding a 53-game winning streak? In just a moment, I'll catch up with Brian Fenley, who covers the Bruins for UCLA, Learfield IMG, and also as a Fox Sports Radio national anchor. Before we get started with today's episode, though, please give us an auto-download on your podcast platform so you'll get future episodes automatically. Lefko Sports is on most podcast platforms, including Apple, the free iHeartRadio app, YouTube, and Spotify. You can leave a review. Reviews are always appreciated. And while you're here and listening, if you wouldn't mind following me on Twitter as well, at John Schaefer, that's J-O-N-S-C-H-A-E-F-F-E-R, at John Schaefer. UCLA has survived overtime twice and most recently beat the top-seeded Michigan Wolverines. What's been the secret formula? Here's my conversation with Brian Fenley. Brian, what's been the most impressive part of this run from the first four to the final four for the Bruins, in your opinion? The most impressive part about this has been the fact that they were down by double digits in the first half against Michigan State hmm. in the first four game, and they got called out, Mick Cronin called out his players, at halftime of that game, and they have been playing elite defense the second half of that game and through the rest of the tournament and this moment where they have now felt like, you know, we can do something. And it's a belief, it's a toughness, and it's a buy-in that is just spectacular. You know, with, with all due respect to Mark Few, I don't know if anyone's done better than Mick Cronin this year in college basketball. I mean, he lost the five-star player in Dacia Nix. He lost Chris Smith to an ACL. He loses Jalen Hill to personal reasons. It truly is incredible, isn't it? It really is, because you think about those three guys, and Mick Cronin was talking about this. He's like, look, if you guys told me that we would be here in the Final Four with those three guys gone, I don't think anybody foresaw that we would be in the Final Four. But I'm telling you, man, Johnny Juzing has throttled himself into being one of those preeminent scorers, one of the best shooters in the college basketball scene. And again, I, 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 he's a great shooter, but let me rephrase it. He is a scorer. The reason he left Kentucky is because they didn't value him as a scorer. But what Vic Cronin has him as is more of a score slash shooter and so you're able to see the full complement of his work and you saw what he's able to do on the stage in the elite eight the guy's been scoring more than 20 points in, in several of these ncaa tournament games with that mid-range game and the ability he works so hard john off of screens and just to get open and he cashes in he really does. I think BYU tried to take him out of the game in the second half after he had that huge first half, and they were able to do it for maybe six or eight minutes, but then other Bruins were able to beat the Cougars uh, on that day. But Juzang, I mean, did anyone expect this? I mean, yes, he was highly touted out of high school from Southern California, and yes, he went to Kentucky, but to do it on this stage, I mean, it's, tr it's truly been unbelievable. You know, in a way, I'm not surprised because when talking to him, he, he, he explains the amount of work that he puts in. Mm -hmm. And so from that perspective, I'm not. 
Now, did I think it was going to happen this quickly? You know, he's still a young guy. He's he's only a sophomore. He was able to to not have to sit out a year after transferring. He's from Southern California. But listening to Johnny talk about even when he was a teenager and he would play basketball for like 12 hours a day. He, he would tell me these stories, John, where he and his brother would get in their car and they would drive up and down the freeway of Los Angeles. And when they were in high school together, they would do a, a, a pickup run at, at this gym. And then later in the day, they'd drive up to this part of L.A. and they'd play here. And then they'd get two or three hours more of shooting on their own. I'm like, all of these hours of working out and playing and refining your game eventually has to pay off, and, and it looks like we're seeing it. How did they hold Michigan, you know, an elite offensive team, to 49 points in the Elite Eight? How did they do that? You know, <laughs> this defense is special. It really is. And one of the things that also needs to be noted is the fact that the Bruins, while they are doing a great job of forcing turnovers, they also are not causing a lot of turnovers themselves. Like, they had eight turnovers in the game last night, which is right around their average in the NCAA tournament. They forced 14 against Michigan. And it's just, I ever since the second half of Michigan State in the first four, you look at it, elite defense in the second half in overtime. Then it's BYU, elite defense, totally shutting down those teams. And it, it really comes down to the way they've been guarding the three-point line. The perimeter defense has been spectacular. You look at Alabama, a, a great three-point shooting team, and they like to score a bunch of points. And UCLA holds them well below their average. It's because they're able to close out quickly from the three-point line. And what I've also noticed is they're not helping as much. And so if teams like to go inside out on them, there's going to be a guy there ready to put a hand to the face because if, if you're helping, yeah, there's probably going to be an open three-point shooter. So they're just doing a great job guarding the perimeter. Brian, who do you think has been the unsung hero of this run? I mean, we know about Johnny Juzang, but, but who else has helped carry the load? Gosh, that's a great question. Anytime Cody Riley is in the game, he makes a tremendous impact. I go to the second half of the Alabama game when, in the Sweet 16, the Crimson Tide were coming back in the second half, and they were starting to, to feel like they were rejuvenated. And then Cody Riley, who hasn't done anything on the offensive end of the first half, he starts to find a groove. They get him the ball, the post a couple times. He gets some post touches. He's able to score around the rim. He makes some free throws. Really what has been the X factor, John, is when Cody is in the game, it's humongous for UCLA. When he's not, the Bruins really hinder themselves. And I was really concerned in, in the Elite Eight game because Cody Riley has a, has a habit of getting into foul trouble. And when he got into foul trouble, I did not know how Kenny Nuba would step up but Kenny Nuba, while he isn't as offensively refined as a big, he did enough defensively to help out when Cody Riley was out last night. Cody Riley rebounds, boxing out, and just using his brute force to score buckets inside has been tremendous. 
And then Tiger Campbell, you know, you talk about the fact that UCLA does not turn the basketball over, and maybe that'll yeah. give him a shot against Gonzaga because you can't give up possessions against a team as, as unbelievable as Gonzaga has been this year. But Tiger Campbell in five tournament games has only turned it over as the point guard six times, and he's playing, you know, 30-plus minutes. He's played as many as 34 minutes in one of these games. So what has Tiger Campbell meant during this run? Oh, he's been tremendous, and we talked about it, John, because – what is not getting hailed enough about this team is the fact of how low their own turnover numbers are. And when you have a guy who runs the show, who is the conductor on offense like Tiger Campbell, who does not make mistakes, understands that he plays within his game. And you know what? He's also an underrated scorer as well. He can hit that three. He is able to shoot. There, there was a shot where he made in the Elite Eight, where he shot it over the top of Hunter Dickinson, the seven-foot-one guy, and, and made it. So he's able to get his shot off, no matter who's up against him guarding. And so he has hit some clutch buckets in a series of these NCAA tournament games where the Bruins were, were starving for offense. He comes in, gives them a big boost. So you talk about his lack of turnovers, also his savviness, in being offensively inclined, that has done wonders for this team. What impresses me most about what Mick Cronin has done is it was literally like 15 months ago that this team lost at home to Cal State Fullerton and Hofstra. They were under 500, I think, going into conference play. He was questioning, you know, really the direction of the program at that point, saying that the team really needed to develop into something that they weren't at the time. I mean, this was January of 2020 at the, you know, the second half of that 2020 season. How has he done this in such a short period of time? You know, I think that the, the real turnaround came in his first season. I know you were talking about some of those early, yep. early struggles in year one with him. But there was a game at home against Stanford, and the Bruins lost in his first season. Mm -hmm. And in the post-game press conference, he absolutely ripped into his team to a tone and to a severity which I had not heard. And this was sort of like a moment of truth, because it's either you're with me or you're not. This was... Are you going to buy in or are you not? And he found guys to buy in. You saw Jaime Hawkins at that point, just a freshman. But he starts to buy in and everybody else does as well. The turnaround in season one was that Stanford game, because as you know, John, towards the end of the regular season in year one, the Bruins started to rattle off all of these wins. Mm -hmm. They were in position to make the NCAA tournament. But Mick Cronin, he's one of the best people to listen to in a post-game press conference because he's straightforward, he's honest, and he communicates what is on his mind, and he's down to earth. And I think the players ultimately saw that out of him. He's a no-nonsense type of coach. He's going to tell you how it is. And as soon as they sort of built that trust up with him, it took about a half of the first season, they said, oh, wow. Okay, we like where we're going here. And then when you start to see the wins compile, how can you not buy in? Brian, why do you think it is that the nation kind of slept on Pac-12 basketball this year? And you look back and you do like this retrospection of UCLA season, for example, and even the games they lost late in the year. I mean, they're losing to Oregon and SC 
Oregon State ends up in Elite Eight. Uh, Colorado had an excellent year. The other losses on their schedule, I mean, Ohio State, there's no shame in that on the road. They lost at San Diego State without Johnny Juzang earlier this year. There's no shame in that. I mean, what, why were people sleeping on the Bruins and the rest of the Pac-12 this year? So I have a couple theories on this, John. For one, as you know, living in California, the COVID-19 protocols and the restrictions were very hard for college basketball teams in that Teams like in, in California, such as the UCLA, they did not have the opportunity to, to meet with their coaches and their teammates for six months hmm. from that March of 2020 when there, there was the shutdown. And, and this happened to teams up and down the coast in, in Oregon and in Washington. So you hear other squads in other parts of the country. And I even listened to, to Juwan Howard, the, the Michigan head coach, after the Elite Eight, and he talked about how they got together in May of 2020. Okay, that is a serious advantage because UCLA and a lot of these other schools up and down the coast of the West Side, they could not meet until like September. So in essence, they were behind the eight ball because they had not developed the chemistry and the ability to work together and, and just get together and understand like how this season is going to go. So they were disadvantaged. The other part of this, John, and I think it needs to be stated, and I don't think it is given enough credit, is that people, the general public, and even the media sometimes, I think because Pac-12 football has been down for the last couple of years, that there is this subconscious association that, oh, gosh, if the football is bad, the basketball can't be you know, that great either. And so that actually, I think, is hindered as well. You're not seeing the Washingtons and the USC's of football playing at the level of prominence that they have before. But ultimately, I don't think it's a level of disrespect. I think it's just indifference. And I think that those that, that it's more of the fact that they don't really watch. It's ignorance. It's not disrespect. And a lot of people are being called out for how wrong they were, as you can tell with the Pac-12. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, nine Big Ten teams in this tournament, none of them in the Final Four, and of course, three, yeah. of, the final, three of the Final Eight standing out of the Pac-12. Brian, let, let's fast forward here to Saturday against Gonzaga. I mean, obviously, Gonzaga is on a historical run. They've won 53 consecutive games. Only one of their games this year has been decided by less than 10 points. Do you give UCLA a puncher's chance, and why, if you do? Well, first of all, I don't like... I saw the, the betting line on this, yep. and I, I know people were talking about, oh, what is it like? And again, what is it, 12 and a half or 13 and a half or, mm-hmm. or something immense in favor of, of Gonzaga? I don't think it's going to be like what we saw between USC and Gonzaga, where, where the Trojans had no chance in this game. What, what you can't define UCLA from, and, and, and look, it, it's their defense is so connected. These guys really understand each other and how they play and their instincts that you can't really look at the, the body of their work this season and use that to say, uh, you know, okay, they've done this, but they've struggled here. Like what we're seeing out of this team is so new, this collective energy, this juggernaut that you can't look even in the regular season to necessarily base your thoughts on how they'll do in this game because there's there's a lot of people out there john who didn't even think that ucla deserved to be in the ncaa tournament right and 
So they absolutely are being exposed. Do I think that Gonzaga is the favorite? Yes. How can they not be? They're undefeated. They've won 30 games for another season. They continue to do it. They play with flash. They have so many different scores. But what I also have to wager into all of this equation here coming into this game is how connected UCLA is on the defensive end. And I know this is a word that gets thrown around a lot, and it's cliche, but it's a toughness, this brand of basketball that we are going to play harder than you because, let's face it, in a lot of these games, John, UCLA has been undersized. They have been the younger team. So how do they find a way to beat these teams that are bigger, that are older? They just work their you-know-what off. They, they're scrappy. They get to lose balls. If they could keep the score low, if they could be scrappy, if they can just, I guess, utilize that defensive mindset that is that is – helped them so far. I like my chances, but again, I'm still going with Gonzaga as the favorite, just to be realistic, Mm -hmm. but I like UCLA's chances. Win or lose, is this going to be remembered as historical, special in Westwood, what the Bruins have been able to do with this team? Oh, no question about it. Considering all of the factors that were going against this team, from the three players that, you know, Dacia Nix, who people seem to, to forget that not only was he committed to UCLA, he was signed yeah. to UCLA. And we've heard what Vic Cronin had said about how the G League was actively recruiting Daisha Nix while he was signed. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. While he was signed. So, so let that sink in. So you have a, a five-star guy, just take it out of your grasp. You have your leading score go down with a non-contact injury against Utah early in the season, an ACL tear. And then one of your biggest defenders in the post in Jalen Hill, who has been out for most of the season, or, or a good chunk of it, I should say, for, for personal reasons. And, and still, what this team is able to manage and do, they have maximized the effort and abilities from what they have. And if that is not an inspiring thing to look at, it's the fact that nobody had them going this far. And, again, there's a lot of national championships being – banners being lifted at, at Pauley Pavilion over the years because of the history of the basketball team. If they don't win at all, I'm not so sure they'll you know, be la-di-da-di-da about just getting to the Final Four. But you have to – no matter where you stand with this team – you have to admire what they've done with the pieces they've had and what they've had to work against in the fact that most of the teams in the country did not get the opportunity or did get the opportunity to practice last summer and into the fall, and the Bruins did, had to wait till September. So there's sort of like a, 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 late, a late forming team that's finding itself now because of the, the lack of practices last offseason. You know, to your point as well, you, you think about it early in the season, I mean, if they don't beat Pepperdine at Viejas Arena, they had lost to San yeah. Diego State, they didn't have Ju Zhang, they didn't have Jalen Hill, they just fought out a really challenging game where they were left for dead a couple of times, as I recall it. I was in the building that day, but they won it in triple overtime against Pepperdine, and the Waves did not have a great year. If you don't beat Pepperdine there, it's hard to imagine that UCLA's in the tournament, considering they were in the first four, right? Yeah, and don't get me wrong, I think Pepperdine's a pretty solid team. Mm-hmm. They've got Colby Ross, 
a guy who, who certainly is going to get an opportunity in one way or another in the NBA. But, yeah, there, there was a wake-up call that was instilled with the Bruins early on in the season. I remember that San Diego State yep. game. And a lot of the UCLA Bruins were saying that, look, San Diego State had a toughness that we did not have. And so it was almost like the, the, the Aztecs had something that we wanted. And it was almost a good thing that we lost because ultimately I think it was a test of where they thought they were and where they actually are when it comes to how the Bruins value themselves. And since then, I think UCLA has started to, to instill more of that toughness. But th- there was no question – John, that San Diego State was the much more physical team in that matchup, and that was a wake-up call for the Bruins, which I think actually helped them as the season lingered on. Now, I think it's a great, great point. Well, here we are, UCLA in the Final Four against Gonzaga on a Saturday in Indianapolis. Brian, we really appreciate the time. Best of luck this weekend, and thank you for doing it. John, thank you so much. Appreciate what you do, and thanks for thinking of me. Thanks again to Brian Fenley for joining us today. It is a date with Goliath on Saturday for the Bruins. They get the Zags in Indianapolis. The winner facing the winner of Baylor-Houston in the national championship game. If the Bruins pull off the upset Saturday, it's going to be remembered as one of the greatest upsets in the history of the sport. If you have not already, please subscribe and auto-download future episodes on whichever podcast platform you're listening to this podcast on right now. And please leave a review. And once again, follow me on Twitter at John Schaefer. That's J-O-N-S-C-H-A-E-F-F-E-R. A reminder, don't miss Advance to Indianapolis this month on your view as we follow local teams and players on their journey to the national championship. Each week, Advance to Indy reviews the previous weekend's rounds and looks ahead to the upcoming weekend. Each show airs four times per week, 16 total show airings throughout the tournament. Advance to Indy includes interviews and expert analysis, along with the local stories on the teams, players, and fans that make the madness of March so much fun. For more information, visit yourview.com. That's Y-U-R-V-I-E-W.com. Next week on Left Coast Sports, we'll take a look back at everything that March Madness provided to us during this unprecedented year. Thanks for listening. We'll catch up again next week right here on Left Coast Sports with John Schaefer.